This is Jim Laskowski. Welcome to an exciting edition of Directors Club. Uh, and yes, this is a combination of two things that you're about to hear. It's a bonus episode and something that I've been doing over at patreon.com slash directors club, which is where you can support the show and the Now Play Network for only $5 a month. I've been doing these new movie review monologues for new releases, I think kind of going back you know, to the more towards the beginning of the year, I would say. Maybe even, yeah, a little bit later on of last year, if I recall. But, well, you know, I'm I'm hoping for more Patreon bonus content to come for those who do subscribe. I know there's a lot of podcasters out there who are, like, guaranteeing uh, every month you're going to get something cool and something different that you wouldn't get anywhere else if you subscribe. But it's more of, like, at this point, just donate if you can. And if you can't, obviously, I'm, <laughs> I can't control your decisions. <laughs> or I'm, at the very least, I understand either way. I'm not, uh, not greedy. It's more of just, hey, if you feel like it, you can. You know, that's kind of how I've always felt, really. And I, ideally, it would be wonderful to have the time and energy to do as much as I'd like to do. But hey, uh, I'll get to more. I'll get to more as to why it's been a little challenging lately. I'll elaborate on that. But I wanted to put this out in the regular feed for a couple of reasons. One is, of course, to give you the sampling of what I've been doing with these new movie review monologues, and maybe you'll like them, and maybe you greatly prefer to hear me with a guest, which totally get, totally get that. <laughs> That's uh, you know, I mean, there's people who do this gracefully. You know, stand-up comedians, other podcasters, they just know how to, you know, carry an audience with incredible storytelling and off-the-cuff diatribes and just being able to communicate even better than I can. So I've always felt that it is definitely definitely best for me to uh, have somebody else either uh, on the other end uh, as a guest or especially live in person if I'm doing events to bounce off of other people. Because, yeah, I can't carry these things by myself all the time, but I'm doing it in the form of movie reviews, which has been a blast. And I link to them, you know, over on Rotten Tomatoes. I, of course, provide star ratings over on Letterboxd and things like that. I've been keeping a running list of all the 2022 films I've seen, so I've been doing all that, but really, this is also a special uh, little treat here because you, you're going to get a quick 15-minute Zoom interview I did with filmmaker Neil LeBute, who is responsible for In the Company of Men, The Shape of Things, as well as his latest excursion into the horror genre called Harsh, Harsh? <laughs> House of Darkness, starring Justin Long and Kate Bosworth that uh, I'll be reviewing here. Um, after the interview, actually. 
So, uh, gosh, it's always funny when I'm like, oh, I'm not always the best communicator, and out comes the word harsh. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind to myself. So, yeah, you're not going to just hear me talk about his new film. You're going to hear what writer-director Neil LeBute himself has to say about what inspired him to make House of Darkness. So that is worth the price of admission alone. But of course, I have to have a little introduction here because it's been a while. Um, for the past couple of weeks, I took a break uh, through mostly uh, most of August. Actually, I just you know stopped doing what I normally do uh, for a couple of reasons. I was feeling a little overwhelmed and struggling. You know, part of me is like, okay, you know, once September rolls around, we got my favorite season coming up right around the corner, which is, of course, the fall. Horror movie season, pumpkin spice lattes are back. (laughs) And then, you know, soon enough, it's going to be time to wear hoodies. And then we're going to have the holidays and awards season. So always stick around for the latter portion of the year. Because things tend to get a little bit better, uh, but I'm I'm gonna you know, no surprise I'm gonna ramble a little bit because I can't help but be honest. I know you're here for the movie talk, but I I just also want to be upfront and say I've been struggling with uh, mental health issues in a way that I would say greatly impacted a job interview that would have essentially led to a promotion with my day job. Um, and beforehand and during, I had extreme anxiety to the point of a panic attack. And that hadn't happened in quite a while. I felt very overwhelmed. Touch of imposter syndrome. Uh, the usual um, sort of debilitating feelings that keep you from doing the things you want to do or becoming the person you want to be. And I think that's affected me most of my life to some degree. But, uh, hey, you know, I mean, anybody I've talked to certainly will attest job interviews are inherently stressful and difficult uh, and challenging in a, in, a, in a variety of ways, especially since you're expected to work right in the moment. Your brain has to work right away to answer a question, and you have to say it articulately. And I cannot, for the life of me, find the power <laughs> to make that happen. My brain was just like, uh-uh, this isn't going to work. This just isn't where your your strengths lie. And I sort of uh, got very angry at myself and, you know, just, just really, really <laughs> felt a lot of negative energy in a compounding way that made me shut down and also wonder what I should do outside of the usual, which is reach out to the doctor, try medication, uh, better diet and exercise, which I've been doing a little bit more here and there. Uh, I would say fairly consistently until, of course, the Y had to shut down the pool for maintenance. And then I sort of just went, well, I'll, I'll just use the elliptical or whatever. And I've tried my best to do that. Um, but I guess I'm just 
wanting to reach out in a way that I, th- I hope is meaningful and not self-indulgent. I mean, you know, again, I'm monologuing a lot <laughs> throughout this bonus episode, and maybe you'll choose to not listen, and I respect that choice as well. But I've had a lot going on. I mean, there's my mom's aging and mental health is- issues of her own. There's, of course, the desire to upgrade my income with being a librarian and doing more there. Uh, and, and of course, I want to do the things I love, like watch movies and create music and listen to podcasts and support other podcasters and retweet everybody's uh, wonderful uh, contributions to the world of criticism and all that stuff I've done sporadically as opposed to consistently lately. And mainly the reason why is just because my brain isn't working to its fullest capacity. You know, I'm able to talk about that stuff, but God forbid I <laughs> answered normal everyday questions in a job interview. But, you know, when you feel completely stuck and stagnant and you're not able to do much of anything but just sit in a dark, quiet space all alone, it's hard to feel very motivated. It's hard to feel uh, like, yeah, I I am <laughs> going to make it through it. Or at least, uh, you know... It's not something I'm like, oh, I want to write about this on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, hopefully get support that way. This is my way of doing it, maybe. But I guess it's, you know, if if people are struggling, we should connect in that regard, too, not just based on our love of movies. You know, because it's been a dark, weird time in general. Again, I mean, not to mention the pandemic madness we've all been through, but... It, it, there's just unexpected loss and and death and all sorts of things happening left and right. So it's it's understandable to be overwhelmed, but you also don't want it to affect your normal everyday functioning, which is exactly what it's been doing. To the point of like, uh, I can't even watch this fucking movie. <laughs> That's what's you know, I I can't separate my anxieties and depression from. Uh, being able to escape in this other world by watching a movie. So that is a little bit unlike me in that regard. So, uh, but yeah, at the same time, obviously I'm going to be reviewing some movies I managed to sneak in anyway. So, I mean, I just often wonder about what to do next. You know, I mean, the movies I'm about to review, I will say they, they helped brighten my spirits in the moment. It wasn't all doom and gloom lately, but I'm not sure, like, scrolling on my phone, looking at social media and Twitter, or even trying to spread the word about my podcast or the network is really where my energies are best spent, especially when, you know, I I haven't felt 100%. And I I, want to also reiterate the fact that, you know, I'm not entirely alone. I'm grateful for my friends like Patrick and Megan and Bill and Sharon and many, many others who do stay in touch and ensure that I have some kind of support, even if it's just text messages. But I just feel really unsure about whether or not I'm going to keep at podcasting next year or not. It's, you know, every couple of years, and of course this happens, and you've all bared witness to it, especially when, you know, uh, Brad now took over. So clearly there was a moment in time where I'm like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, sorry, can't do this, but... You know, and I also don't want to say next year is the year where that could potentially become permanent. I hope it doesn't. That's really the ultimate goal is to keep this going. But at the same time, I think 
mental health, physical health, self-care, all those things are, are vital to live a long, healthy life. But and it's not to say that doing this isn't helpful, because it is. It always has been. Uh, I don't know if I'll have the time and energy for it. That's the one thing I have concerns about. But, you know, I, and don't think that, oh, I'll unsubscribe then, because I'm going to still do yearly traditions, like the retrospective, the best of episodes, and, of course, a bonus episode here and there. It's not like I'm going to disappear either, but... um you know, there might just be less Director's Club content, and that wouldn't probably be a huge shock, <laughs> but I know Bill Ackerman is going to do his best to contribute, you know, certainly for this year, and he's been one of the most supportive and kind-hearted and considerate human beings on the planet, and you all know that. You all know he puts out great podcasts of his own with supporting characters and recently did a great job with Steven uh, Sadian's uh <laughs> that that whole experience for him has been really special uh, and it was an incredible listen certainly for the guests and Bill's uh, passion for that particular director it was you know it was moving actually to to hear all of that and certainly discover that the director himself was a fan and of course he would be if he hears this the episode and i hope you've all heard it even if you don't know the name but certainly bill's episode meant a lot to me and i'm sure it's indicative of his passion and and talent in a lot of ways but you know director's club has gone through these weird changes and many ups and downs and uncertainties to where you know at some point i may have to decide whether reviewing movies and talking about directors is actually what I want to be doing with my time, if that's where my heart is going to stay. Or I should just become totally focused on practical adulting and self-care and, and less rambling into a microphone. Who knows? That's something I, I think about despite not wanting to actually do it. <laughs> so I'm not going to say either way what will happen, but turning 45 next year does feel like a turning point. And, you know, there's this chance to make big life decisions, whether it's for the better or not. There's no way to know. But, um, you know, doing a show for 12 years, even if there are only 300 plus episodes, is still something to be very proud of. You know, and, and it's, it's, let's just say right now I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm not feeling great. I'm not feeling terrible. You know, earlier this week I was terrible and not eating and crying and wondering if I should go inpatient. But I don't want to do that either. <laughs> That's... That sounds a lot like a lot, uh, but who knows? If it comes down to it, and if you know it's recommended, and it's certainly what I should do, then I'll consider it. But let's just finally get to movies, right? That's why you're here. I'm talking about movies and new movies, and I, I think it's best to break up my monologues too, so you can hear a voice other than my own for a bit, since I just, uh, yeah, just spilled the beans, or <laughs> at least let it all out uh, in a way that, I know, it feels okay. I hope you listened and you want to reach out. You always can at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com and patreon.com slash directorsclub. Or, you know, yeah, there's, there's the old Twitter and Facebook and other avenues that I'm not as enthused about these days, but they're there. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> let's Let's connect. Let's communicate. Let's be human, imperfectly human together. 
let's start out now with this very special edition of the new movie review monologues with a guest spot featuring a writer-director I've long admired, going all the way back to 1997 with a, uh, whew, a very caustic and intense, pretty devastating debut feature with uh, In the Company of Men, which of course I couldn't help but bring up at the top of the show. So before we get to my review of Neil LeBute's latest film, House of Darkness, let's hear from LeBute himself in this short but sweet interview I did with the very talented filmmaker that I, I know you'll hopefully get a, get a kick out of, right? So let's hear and, you know, talk about Neil LeBute's latest film coming out on Friday, September 9th, titled House of Darkness. I'm just not very good at telling stories. Oh, come on. I love stories. All right. This guy meets this amazing girl. She doesn't have a ride. I'm happy to. They drive back to her place. This mansion in the woods. We have several of these hmm. estates. Does that make sense? You're rich. <laughs> <laughs> and then they kiss. And he's never kissed before. You could do anything you want to do me. Make me disappear. Wow, what do you mean? You're not married, are you? <laughs> not at the moment. Not at the moment. <laughs> What's that? Is somebody here? Not that I know of. Congratulations on the this new modern gothic fairy tale that I enjoyed quite a bit. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. No, I, I got to say, I, I've been a fan going all the way back to your debut, which I believe I saw at a premiere here in Chicago when it played the Fine Arts Theater. And my memory could be wrong, but I, I could I could swear it was shown in black and white for that first screening. It it wasn't. OK, but it, I, you know, I cut that movie black and white and wanted it to be black and white. But uh, people talked me into doing color, but I, I, I knew okay. they might do that. And so I controlled the color enough that I think. You might even remember that it feels like it was black and white. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny how that my memory works sometimes. But that that was just a, a very memorable debut, to say the least. And I've been well, that was a, that was a while ago. But but what a, what a nice theater and and Chicago such a good town. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I remember you saying within the company of men, it all started with the line, "Let's hurt somebody." How did House of Darkness start for you? <laughs> I mean, it certainly could start with that same line, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, it. It's not far off from there. Um, yeah, uh, I guess let's scare somebody is probably you know where where that goes, and uh, and go from the you know the traditional scare of uh, of being you know being frightened by uh, by a date, and uh, and then having that date go in so many different directions. Um, I think that that was part of the fun of like melding the worlds that I, I like of relationships plus, plus horror and, and finding a way to make those, those dance together. Yeah. And I think you successfully did that. And I, I, what I love about your films too, is that they seem to integrate your background in theater with obviously the medium of film with, and characters often speak very directly about what they're thinking and feeling. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious, like what, what separates the writing process when you're sitting down to write a play versus when you're sitting down to write a screenplay. Yeah, sometimes not very much. You know, this this was one of those that I, I I definitely have looked at and said, gosh, this could be a play or it could have been a play. Um, it I had the script so close to the time that 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 COVID came around 
that um, when I was thinking about, you know, gosh, what can you do in this time period, you know, on 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 screen? Um, it's got to have a small cast. It's got to have a controlled environment. And I was looking at that script going, I think you're going to be a movie. It's what you're <laughs> going to be, you know. Um, but I could easily find a way to do that on stage, you know, and uh, and have a lot of fun with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, sometimes it doesn't feel like there's there's much distance between those those mediums sure. and other times you're working on something that maybe you've been um you're adapting something else or you're you've been you've been hired to do something and you go oh i've got to make this a much more traditional kind of screenplay experience um but for me yeah i like those i love chamber pieces and you know things that are very um strongly controlled and not a lot of not a lot of camera angles and you know it's just let the let the actors do the work and uh, that's what I like to I like to watch that kind of thing and and certainly make that kind of thing. Yeah, me too. No, for sure. That goes back to, you know, my love of Mammoth and certainly what he's done with with his with his films. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about the great ensemble here that you've assembled. I, I certainly enjoyed like Justin Long's work in something like Drag Me to Hell. Uh, yeah. what, what made you decide he was the right choice along with the rest of the cast here? Well, Justin, you know, has a, 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 a I think a, a long. He has got a, certainly a, a long tradition of having done, you know, horror weird with some weird movies like <laughs> things like Tusk, which yeah. I still find unsettling just to think about. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, so there was a connection there, but I think that he carries in a persona of, you know, whether it's in quotes or not, a nice guy, you know, um, and we think that of the actor as much as the characters, you know? And yeah. so he brings in this, this um, currency of that. And so when you put him in a situation where he's saying questionable things or, you know, you go, gosh, is this guy a good guy or is he not? He keeps saying he's a good guy, but is he a good guy? Um, and so the dynamic there is shifting in terms of this, this, you know, if it is a date or whatever it is, um, someone's been picked up and, and been driven home from a, a bar. Um, where we would normally feel like worried for this young woman, the dynamic is such that we're just not sure who to feel like is in control and not in control. And so Justin was a, was a perfect kind of actor um, persona to, to fit into that world. I think you give him a much, you give him more, more time to, become who he becomes, you know, in front of you, you, you kind of keep making excuses for him going, Oh, he's just, you know, he's, he's just nervous. He's just this, he's just that until you go, Oh, maybe he's just actually kind of a creep. Um, and, and he's about to get what he deserves and uh, maybe he should have gotten it long before this. You know, I don't know by the time he, you know, whatever happens to him, if audiences will be, you know, clapping or if they will be, they'll still be kind of like, Oh, you know, he's bad, but he doesn't deserve that. Um, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely leaned more towards, oh yeah, he's kind of a bad dude, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. without Still spoiling bad. anything, sure. Yeah, oh, really yeah. Bad, a bad way to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But, uh, you, you have a really strong penchant for like capturing, you know, awkward social interactions in a way that I think also says a lot about human behavior and you do it with obviously a, a dark comic tone here and this time incorporating genre elements that I found to be quite effective. Are there, okay. Yeah, are there examples of of horror films from the past that you know kind of informed a little bit of your approach, or just you know? Well, I, I just I, I think comedy, comedy is such a, a great tool in, in almost anything. You know that, that that helps an audience feel a certain way or softens them up, and and you know gets them 
un, unprepared for what's coming. You know, it allows them to relax a little bit. Um, it's a it's a great way to to uh, modulate the 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 mood or the the suspense of something. Um, so many people have used that effectively. You know, I mean, even even in something like Clockwork Orange, there's humor that you you know you find yourself laughing in a way you go, oh, I shouldn't be laughing at that, and yet you can't. You know, it's it's an involuntary release a lot of the time, so you can't control it. Um, so it's it's just a very effective uh, thing to have in your in your your quiver to um, to to use when you're when you're creating, especially uh, trying to sustain a mood of ratcheting suspense um and it's just a nice color to 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 add there along the way and and i had actors who were able to to utilize that oh yeah most definitely i i was i was even thinking back to you know a lot some of your earlier work there are a lot of scary characters even if it's not a traditional horror movie to say the oh least. sure yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's probably scarier people in in friends and neighbors or or uh, you know company of men than than here and, you know until they become what they become so it's it's you know up to that point you've got guys <clears throat> and women who um you know or someone like Rach, uh, Rachel Weiss's character in the shape of things oh, yeah. um who you know kind of take your breath away because they're they seem more normal you know and then turn out to be people who are either sociopaths or, you know, so narcissistic that you can't believe it. Yeah. Or very just morally complicated. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, they're trying to justify, yeah. right. They're trying to justify their actions a lot of the time. And certainly you, you do great with the, with monologues, both, you know, with your past films and certainly here at a very crucial point in the film where there's storytelling involved. But I, I certainly love a moment where <laughs> you, you, you do decide to employ the jump scare and even have a character comment on it. I love that touch, but how do you, how do you and the crew know how to stay, an effective moment like that uh in terms of like let's get the audience and let's get them good yeah those you know those are those those genre elements that, that often have been so effective throughout uh movie history are like anything that's that's done well it makes it seem easier than it is you mm -hmm. know so really getting a balance of how do you create a jump scare how do you create tension um, you know, you start learning just in the process by, by sometimes by elimination, you're like, oh, you know what, what they really did there is they had a great amount of, uh, they had a great amount of, uh, of material that they could work on. And, and the more material you have, the longer you can expand a moment, you know, um, a jump scare, what, what creates that sometimes it becomes scientific and technical, you know, for something that should be really just emotional. It's, right. it's emotional in the end for the audience, but for you, it's almost like a science project. You know, it's <laughs> one one or two frames off of that is not as effective. I mean, one or two frames before that really makes it work. Or same with where did the music come in? Or it's it's amazing how how technical uh, a visceral thing can be. You know, in 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 terms of of film, TV, uh, stage, that kind of thing. Yeah, I always wonder about that as I'm watching a horror film. Like, uh, I always think about the, the what's what the what's going through, you know, the, the crew and all the. I guess we could talk briefly, you know, about the production design, just because this mansion is quite uh, an astonishing environment to film in. And did, where did you find it? And you know, all, oh well, that was that was a, that was a lucky a lucky find in Arkansas, actually. Oh wow! Um, um, it, it was a it was a um, a home that was built by a a guy who. Um, 
his background was in in mill work, you know, in doing milled wood um, moldings and that kind of, you know, ceilings and that sort of thing. And then went to town on his own, his own would-be Scottish castle in the Arkansas Highlands. Um, and uh, it was available to to rent to use. And we so we thought this gives us a kind of gothic feel without being outright, obviously, you know, hundreds of years old. Um <laughs> So it was a good balance for us and gave us some space that, you know, you could also not not just um, utilize as part of the the production design, but gave you space for actors holding and, you know, crew and all those things that you kind of need. You don't think about watching a movie, but, you know, when you're in one location, yeah, where's everybody going to be? Are they all going to stand outside or is there room for them to to huddle in the in the 12 car garage here? So, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it was a space that worked out very effectively kind of across the board. Yeah, no, for sure. I I, I found the whole experience to be quite effective. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just grateful that you're, you're you're back working hard with with film. I, I watched the trailer for your next feature coming out called Out of the Blue, and it was nice to see you working with Frederick uh, Weller again. Uh, since he's so great in the shape of things, <laughs> I love Fred Will. I've done a lot yeah. of stage work with him and 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 TV stuff. He's just you know a great guy, and uh, and so I, I work with him anytime I get a chance. Yeah, no, I mean, I, your ensemble is great here, and they they usually are. And I'm really excited to see more work from you in the future for sure. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, one of the scariest performances I think I've ever seen is Jason Patrick in Your Friends and Neighbors. <laughs> 20, 20 years, yeah, twenty more than twenty years later, I, I would agree with you. It's, it's, yeah. it's held up really well. Yeah, so thank well, you for creating you know, that. I mean, he's a tremendous actor. That guy is. Uh, he he hasn't been given as many opportunities as he should because I he, agree. Uh, he's he's peerless when he's given great material. Yeah, ever since when I when I saw him in Rush, I was just like, man, this guy is something else, and he's special. Yeah, yeah. after dark, after dark, my sweet was the one for me where I was right. like, yep, whoa, this guy is incredible. Yeah. Well, well, thanks so much for your time, Neil. I'm really excited to tell Great. everybody Great to time. see Out of Darkness. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Okay. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Is that how it ends? Who said anything about ending? Ooh. House of Darkness. Yes. The latest from Neil Lebutin, as you heard during the, in- the interview there. It's all about uh, one night one setting with very few characters and this is also an experience i don't want to go into too much detail about in regards to spoilers but um at the same time i don't know if you'll be like oh genuinely surprised either i think um it does pay off if you're like well where is this going what's this going to lead to and is it going to be worth it i i'd say it was uh-huh. you'll know why once you get to the end, which, I, again, I won't spoil. But, you know, this is kind of a better take on something like what Eli Roth tried to do with Knock Knock, but this is also more along the lines of a horror version of what old-school The Butte used to give us in the form of something that could just, yeah, definitely be set on a stage, since it's driven a lot by you know, sharp dialogue and awkward small talk and intimate moments shared just between two people in one room for the most part. Well, that's the setup anyway. Uh, Eventually there are other 
settings, but again, not going to go into uh, too much detail on that. We are focusing mainly on Justin Long and Kate Bosworth, who play off one another very well in a flirtatious manner. Um, and things take a turn. Well, eh, yeah. So Justin Long isn't even given a character name in this, but he picks up a woman at a bar played by Kate Bosworth, who plays Mina, and they go back to her place, which just happens to be a creepy old gothic mansion in the middle of nowhere. And all I could think was, hmm, didn't Justin Long learn from his experience on Tusk that this is probably not going to end well? Ah, poor Justin Long. Uh, You know, this is um, a very creepy unnerving experience especially once Mina invites him in and the evening doesn't necessarily go in the uh, path towards seduction as one might hope certainly he does doors start creaking and lights are flickering and well there's some surprises in store that makes you wonder well who is Mina and what exactly does she have in mind here with this particular gentleman Guess you're going to have to find out for yourself. And I will say, as you heard during the interview, I really liked LeBute's latest film here. Oddly enough, he also has another movie I mentioned coming out, or just came out on VOD, called Out of the Blue, which I've yet to see, but I hear is more in the vein of a film noir. And it's about a recently released prisoner who now works at a library and gets entangled with a femme fatale. So, yeah, I'll definitely make time for that in the near future, of course, because I am a fan. But for House of Darkness, uh, I'll say it goes in directions that are a little predictable, but the journey is even more worthwhile than the destination in this case. And even with it going where I kind of expected, I still had a blast. You know, I really did. I Watching Justin Long just deal with a whole lot of awkward conversation and interaction uh, with Kate Bosworth, who is at times very seductive and at other times very creepy and unpredictable, their their interplay just brings to mind something like uh, Death and the Maiden or Closetland, just movies where you know two people are playing mind games with one another and you don't know where the other is coming from. So that's there, of course, but this is more of a B-movie horror version of that, playing with some genre expectations along the way, and definitely fulfills them, but it's very talky. It's, again, knowing Labute's style, it's Mammoth-esque with uh, the way people talk with one another, but there's some blood thrown in for good measure. You know, there's, there's some really great moments throughout. So definitely give credit to the cast and certainly Labute for making it all come together very successfully, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a throwback, almost, to the kind of movies LeBute used to make, with monologues and that sort of trademark dark humor and vulnerability at times. But, you know, there's, there's a great moment involving a jump scare that, you know, again, you can roll your eyes at a jump scare moment, but I thought it was one of the better ones I'd seen because the character actually comments on it. And it's it's really a lot of fun. So, I mean, I imagine fans of what Labute has done in the past will find a lot to like. And I'm hoping that 
those who support you know platforms like Shutter and studios like A24 will find a lot to appreciate here because I just thought this was a great deal of fun and maybe I was just in the right mood for it and I also just enjoy watching Justin Long go through a lot of torment though <laughs> Tusk still gets a thumbs down from me what a shock but yeah this is definitely you know the one to see in terms of watching Justin Long uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time I guess there's another movie another horror movie he's in coming out soon called Barbarian, which I'll see probably in the next week or so. Jeez, poor Justin Long. I guess that's just uh, the theme of this entire episode is just poor Justin Long. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see that LeBute is back working hard on screenplays. And it was just, it was a blast to talk with him about House of Darkness. So I hope you all will give it a look. On September 9th, or when it hits streaming, I believe a few days right after that. Uh, yeah, I'm giving it a recommendation. House of Darkness. But let's move on to something mm, not too different, in a way. But it's the latest from George Miller, and it's called 3,000 Years of Longing. On August 26th. Three wishes will send her on an adventure of a lifetime. Make a wish. Only by granting you your heart's desire. May I earn my release? He'll be staying for a while. Hello. Hello. Critics are saying George Miller's first movie since Mad Max Fury Road is a wish come true. This is a story of a woman, and she encounters a genie. The problem is, she knows that all stories about wishing are cautionary tales. I'm beginning to think I'm in the presence of a trickster. It's Aladdin for adults. A different kind of blockbuster. Shut your cake hole. Eventually she does make a wish and it surprises both of them. Find the biggest screen possible to truly absorb this beautiful film. Would you like this little Albert Einstein? Put him back. Is that your wish? No, it's your obligation. <laughs> ah, 3,000 years of longing. Wow. Well, for my mom's 79th birthday, I asked her, how would you feel about seeing a fantastical movie in a movie theater? Remember those? It had been a long time since we'd seen a movie in an actual theater. I had to talk her into a movie... How many times am I going to say the word movie? <laughs> I had to talk her into this movie that's being described as uh, Aladdin for adults, as you heard in that trailer. But um, she was just as surprised as I was by George Miller's latest. Not to be confused with 3,000 Miles to Graceland. But, uh, yeah, Tilda, Tilda Swinton here plays a doctor of narratology. She's traveling to Istanbul, not Constantinople, for a storyteller conference. And she comes across a couple of possible delusions early on. And uh, one of which causes her to faint. But she eventually goes shopping, <laughs> which is what one does. Uh, and she comes across a bottle. Hmm. And it's misshapen by fire. And once she's in her hotel room, she starts cleaning it and rubbing it. <laughs> Just like in Aladdin. A powerful jinn or genie emerges, played by Idris Elba. And of course, he is very eager to grant her 
three wishes. And she sort of claims, well, I have no need nor any desire. I don't want to wish for anything. On top of that, she's kind of like, I don't know about this guy. You know, she's also very aware of folklore and previous incarnations of (laughs) this story. Because, yeah, well, similar to a monkey's paw situation, like, you know, you, you make these three wishes and bad things could very well happen. There are unforeseen consequences. So, at the same time, the Jin here has a agenda. He wants to be free. You know, and the only way that can happen is if she makes three wishes. And at the same time, they're going back and forth. He has to win over her confidence. So by doing that, he decides to tell her some tragic stories of his own, or at least things that have happened to him in the past when he's crossed paths with other people who decided to make the make their wishes right right <laughs> and this has happened over the past 3000 years man he's lived a long life and we learn all sorts of things all sorts of adventures that he's been through from ancient egypt i believe uh there's the queen of sheba a uh son of sultan and a really interesting final story that he tells involving Zephyr this rather uh, sort of lonely isolated and restless woman who finds you know, solace from her loveless marriage in knowledge and educating herself in, in the books of science and of course she wants to learn everything and the Jin is like alright if that's your wish here you go I'm going to uh, blow your mind with all sorts of things. And that's my favorite part uh, of the three stories that he tells, is just that uh, dynamic they're sharing together and her desire to be even smarter and, and, uh, you know, more cultured and all that. And they eventually connect, you know, a bit too strongly to the point of feeling a lot more. And then... It's inevitable. We're going to see Tilda Swinton's character make a wish. And we as the audience are then privy to what happens in that um, final act. And once that happens, this becomes a film not just about unrealized romance and longing, but about storytelling and how it can help those who are, you know, a little sad and lonely cope. Or at least, I wouldn't even say Tilda Swinton's character is sad and lonely. She's just accepting of the fact that she's a lone wolf. And, you know, content to immerse herself in the lives of others or, you know, uh, create her own worlds. So it's almost like George Miller is commenting on why he is a storyteller and mostly a very good one right from the beginning of his career. I'll I'll say that uh, The Road Warrior is right up there with being one of the more perfect all-time action films. Um, Another emotional personal favorite of mine is Lorenzo's oil along with Babe pig in the city, which I kind of adore almost as much as Gene Siskel did. 
Not to mention a little seen and talked about film from a few years back called Mad Max Fury Road, which is uh, pretty monumental. I, I, again, my mind is kind of blown that that film happened and is what it is. 3,000 Years of Longing, again, is really about the power of storytelling, and it's not just a you know three-part tale about the life of a jinn, but it's a two-part tale about this narratologist. You know, and that's the thing is like the first part definitely focuses on the jinn, and then we kind of branch out a little bit. And it's not really complicated in terms of structure to where my mom, I'm pretty sure she followed it fine. There are these visually interesting digressions that wind into other digressions, but eventually it, it kind of all comes together right back to the initial layer where everything started to sort of really bring home the theme. And I think there's been a lot of controversy about the idea of this white woman saving this black jinn character in a way that I guess can rub people the wrong way. And I would never take that away from them if that's how they feel, of course. Um, for me, I, I ended up incredibly moved by a movie that is admittedly kind of messy and weird and far more talky than I had anticipated. It's more along the lines of uh, a movie I reviewed in the, in the monologues here not too long ago during the Chicago Critics Film Festival, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which is two people learning about one another in a hotel room, only um, this time it's not about sex, it's about human connection and longing. You know, in that other film with Emma Thompson, it's definitely about sex and intimacy, but here it's about, uh, you know, trying to tell our stories in ways that bring meaning to our lives. And, and, and the other, and the other stories that the Jin tells get better as they go along, particularly with, like I mentioned, Zephyr, who, who becomes consumed with knowledge and wants to better herself. But really, this is a surprisingly kind of low key and less bombastic movie than Miller's previous work. There are, are moments of real beauty, moments that wouldn't be out of place in a Tarsim film or a 90s music video that kind of make it look a little dated here or there. I mean, I can see people going either way when they watch this, being really turned off for a variety of reasons, or, like me, being really engaged and intrigued, simply because I mean, these two actors do a lot of the heavy lifting, and for me, they're up to the task. I found myself really, really enraptured by the whole experience, but I also need to see it again. There's, there is a lot kind of going on, even if it is you know, essentially just two people in a room for the most part. But there's, I mean, we, we're cutting to those stories and there's a lot going on in those stories. So maybe there's more layers than I'm uncovering on a first viewing, but I also understand why there's controversy, but my takeaway was really more focused on the overarching themes surrounding why we build life narratives, you know, in, in hopes of making sense of our own lives. So... It, it makes sense that George Miller would want to tackle this subject matter because he is a storyteller, of course. And, yeah, it does play on that sort of meta level at times. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't at all what I was expecting, so maybe that worked to its benefit for me. Walking in with maybe lower expectations probably helped. But, you know, for those who, who, who do venture out to see this, I'm very curious to what you think because it's so odd. It's very Gilliam-esque at times, it could be a little dizzying with the flashbacks, but it's also just takes this strange turn later on in the final act that I guess won me over. I was 
kind of moved by it. And even though I couldn't even explicitly tell you why I was, it just sort of worked. And, I'm, and at the same time, I, it's not cl- close to being upper tier George Miller for me. I, I would say seek this out if you're curious. And hopefully you walk away surprised and enthralled the way I was. But I, again, this is not something I think is going to be universally loved in the way that his other work has been, particularly his last movie. <laughs> it's not going to connect with audiences in the way that movie sure did. But it's, it's really out there. It's kind of cool that this movie exists. But it's, it's also um, potentially divisive for the future. Or I think it, it is now, actually. So I, I, it's one of those where I walked out, I was like, I want to know what other people think. And my overall feelings don't seem like that uh, significant. <laughs> because it's more of like, I've heard such varying degrees of criticism uh, that I I also wouldn't argue for this being a masterpiece or a movie that works as a story well told from beginning to end. It just kind of... I found myself won over by it and giving into it rather than fighting with it. I don't know. It's It's, again, hard to articulate sometimes why you like something... It just happens, <laughs> and you just go, okay, well, cool. I'm glad I didn't, you know, roll my eyes as much as I thought I was going to. So that's 3,000 Years of Longing, a really unexpected film from a really incredible filmmaker. Um, I'm going to review one more movie, I think, here on the show. I think, I, well, there's a couple of... Maybe I'll do two more. What am I saying? Okay, I'm going to do two more. Because <laughs> they're both, I would say, right... They're not perfect, and they're not amazing. But I absolutely want you to see both movies. Uh, let's go with the first one, the one I originally planned to wrap things up with. But let's just go with a movie called On the Count of Three. Suffocation, no breathing, don't give a f- What? No. It's a song about suicide. You can't listen to music that exactly describes the emotional thing you're going through. You know how cheesy that is? Mm. I don't listen to Atlanta's Morissette when I'm going through a breakup, and I'm not listening to Papa Roach on the day I'm going to kill myself. I get that you've been in, like, a little bit of a slump lately, but suicide's not the answer to that. I know you think you can solve all your own problems, but that ain't working for you. Go talk to someone. I'd like to make a return. This has been a lifelong thing for me. You don't know that things will get better. You tried it, Kevin, and you ended up in the hospital. This time I'm here. We'll do it right. We'll do it together. I love you, man. You're my best friend. I love you too, pal. On three. One. Two. two, Three. Jesus Christ, man. I need one more day. You just tried to kill yourself three days ago. You had three last days. I got rice cooking. On the count of three follows two depressed best friends. There's Kevin, played by Christopher Abbott, and Val, played by writer, director, actor, Jared Carmichael. And this is all about the day they decide to kill themselves together. Whew. Heavy subject matter, to say the least. So it's it teases us early on with a scene where they each point handguns at each other, tracing how okay 
<laughs> what, what's the deal with these two? Why are they confronting one another with guns? You're going to find out, right? The, is this a possible double murder-suicide pact? We'll find out. But uh, we learned that Kevin had uh, had a suicide attempt, tried to take his own life earlier in the week, and he's in an institution that can't seem to help in any way. So Val sort of comes to his rescue, leaving his own job at a mulch factory, and, yeah, decides, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my buddy out of here, out of this institution, and then we're going to figure this out together in a way that leads to some finality. <sighs> yeah, it seems like Kevin's of the manic... Uh, side of things and Val is of the depressed side. He's kind of overcome with numbness and decides, you know what? Since we're both feeling suicidal, let's just do this. Let's make it happen. Let's make this our mutual escape from it all. And, well, they decide to spend the final day together righting a few wrongs and having a couple of adventures, but um, ultimately becomes a little bit of a buddy movie while focusing on the fact that, yes, they're both going to end it together. I'm thinking of ending things, this could have been called. Ha! But, uh... Yeah, it's... It, <laughs> you can go back to something like Heather's when you think about a dark comedy about suicide. Teenage suicide, don't do it. Yeah, well, this is, um... Yeah, uh like 30-something-year-olds basically thinking like life has no purpose, no meaning, and they're overwhelmed and they can't handle things. So let's just end it together uh, as friends do. They support one another. This is a really dark comedy. It's a really unexpected film uh, for me. I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea going in. And... It's really good. I'll just say that. You know, it's certainly not on blind spotting territory where it's the, the uh, you know, everything comes together in a satisfying way and you're so with these characters the whole way through and their struggles and this friendship is incredibly strong. And it is, it is. All that's there. It's not on the level of something like blind spotting, but it, it reminds me of that a little bit, uh, especially in terms of the humor and their dynamic together. But, you know, I would say Carmichael is really confident and comfortable with things that are uncomfortable, and he works very well with Christopher Abbott. It's just, again, like two people mostly dealing with certain encounters and situations together. At times, there's like almost like a midnight run feel. Uh, like this, yeah, in, in another world, like in the multiverse, turn this into a buddy cop comedy. Really, because they have those similar differences in how they handle things and approach things and respond to things together. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I went with this one, too. Like, every single movie I'm talking about, for the most part, really um, made me happy. <laughs> it's a kind of funny thing to say about a movie about suicide, but, uh, you know, he finds the humor in suicidal thoughts and feelings. Carmichael does, you know, in a way that I connected to and understood. 
you know, I'm someone who has thought about death and dying, and, you know, of course I end up finding solace in movies and storytelling to where I'm like, why would I die and miss out on movies like this one? But, you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to shake those thoughts sometimes. They're very intrusive. And they're there. And it just happens when you have depression, anxiety, ADHD, and all of that stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's a, part, a part of your DNA to some degree. You know, and you sort of learn to accept it and roll with it. And this movie kind of tackles it in a fun, interesting way. Especially just the fact that these two work so well together. Um, you know, and the message is, yeah, simple. Like, live every day as if it was your last. It's a, you know, simple platitude, I guess. But... I will also critique the subplots and side characters. I'm not entirely sure they work. There's there's Val's fiance, played by Tiffany Haddish, and a doctor played by Henry Winkler that I won't go too too much detail about aside from his very bad wig in a flashback moment. But I, I don't know. I, I wonder if Carmichael just focused on two suicidal friends without necessarily giving us greater detail into why they're so messed up, why not just let them be messed up human beings without a reason, you know? I mean, it's sort of... I know it's not the entire reason. Once we learn, particularly about uh, Christopher Abbott's character, we learn about something that's happened in the past. I don't know if we needed it. Um, it It certainly leads to a conflict and something that advances the story. But I guess I just wanted to follow these two and have them go on more like an after-hours journey of sorts. But, I mean, Christopher Abbott here, going all the way back to James White, he's just becoming an all-timer. I mean, this is one of his funniest, most endearing performances. Carmichael is every bit his equal. So, in general, I would say on the count of three, really deserves to be seen. I have a few reservations. It's not perfect, of course. Uh, once we get to a confrontation late in the game, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't, I don't know if I wanted that, but everything building up to it, including the use of a Papa Roach song is, is kind of, uh, yeah, comedy gold, very dark comedy gold, if you will. But you know, if you struggle with suicidal ideation and mental illness, certainly I do really, really give this one a chance. It, it could make you laugh. It might make you feel less alone. Uh, but ultimately, it's just the right kind of entertaining and dark, you know, sort of comedic distraction that I'm pretty grateful exists. Even if, again, I, I, I would have tweaked it a little bit myself to make it even stronger. But, gosh, these two together are, are, are a blast. So, you know, on the basis of... Again, this is a running theme of these three movies I've reviewed. Two people just sort of working off on each other in a very, very, very good way and carrying it um, throughout. I mean, again, there's a lot of side characters, and certainly in this one, there's a couple in particular that was just like, ah, let's just focus on the two main people here, but it's okay. It's I'm forgiving its flaws because I enjoyed it very much. That's on the count of three. And I was going to end with that simply due to the mental illness uh, component and bringing it all full circle, but I decided last minute, why not I talk about BJ Novak's, I believe it's his debut, it's called Vengeance. Okay. I'm in West Texas, where this family just lost their daughter to an opiate overdose. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. It's okay, it's not someone I was close to. But you flew to Texas for it? Uh, 
Yes, uh, it was a girl I hooked up with a few times. Her family thought that we were more serious than I did. I've heard so much about you. I've, I've heard, yeah. Evelyn just didn't die, she was murdered. What? And the two of us are going to avenge her death. So as like a personal boundary, I don't avenge deaths. But here's what I can do. I'm going to record everything that you think happened to Abilene. And we'll put it on a podcast and we'll see where it leads. What evidence does he have that it was a murder? Nothing. And that's the story. What's this podcast about? A new American reality where people invent these conspiracies. You got deep state, pill pushers, cartels, the law. Because the truth is too hard to accept. The truth is too hard to accept. (sighs) Vengeance. A movie about an aspiring podcaster. Count me in, right? (laughs) Well, it's also a little overstuffed, but we'll get to that. First and foremost, this is from writer-director B.J. Novak, who you all might remember from the American version of The Office. You know, the film starts a little shaky for me because we're beginning with, you know, him as this, you know, reasonably successful New York journalist. His name is Ben played by B.J. Novak, and (laughs) it's kind of like at this um, rooftop party with his friend, played by John Mayer, (laughs) and they're sort of discussing their method of taking the names of women that they're interested in and putting them in their phones in sort of like a very, I don't know, questionable manner, so they can remember who the women are, like they say, oh, this person I hooked up with this way, and you know, uh, Tinder Annie or, you know, something like that. Um, and they're a little gross and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to have to follow these, these two around or this even just BJ Novak around. Cause Oh my Lord is a little bit of a creep, but, uh, you know, of course he's hooked to social media and he wants to get as many likes as he can, gets a lot more recognition. And of course, you know, is, uh, focused on getting laid <laughs> but you know he he also dubs one girl in his contacts list uh, as texas and so this mo- movie starts out with you know um him getting a call from someone from texas a brother uh of a woman that he hooked up with at one point and her name happens to be abilene abby for short and the brother calls him up, says, guess what? Abby is dead. Um, and I, the brother, the whole family actually assumes that they were really close and in love. They weren't just, uh, you know, casual encounters between the two of them. They sort of assumed that through the way she talked about him and, uh, you know, how she, how she really went on and on about uh, her feelings. But he has to attend her funeral in Texas and just ultimately gets very involved with, well, how did Abby die? And then he expands further upon that because this is an ultimately a mystery because Abby's brother thinks she was murdered. You know, there, a lot of people assume that she died of a drug overdose, um, and that was the ultimate cause of death. 
but there's a lot more to the story as we get into greater detail. And Ben decides, why not turn this into a podcast, this whole mystery? You know, she's a dead white girl. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's expand on that. Let's make this into something that, you know, hey, it'll be the new serial or, you know, something along those lines, right? Um, and, of course, the brother, his intention really is he wants Ben to help him exact vengeance for the death of his sister. Uh, and, of course, you know, the whole family doesn't know the whole story behind Ben and the fact that him and Abby did not really connect in a deep, meaningful way. And Ben is just really focused on making a name for himself as a journalist. So this movie sort of becomes a little under the Silver lake <laughs> you know, the, the idea of, you know, Reddit threads and how people become obsessed with an unsolved mystery and murder. And there's certainly there's no, there's no level of surrealism and digressions and tangents the way under the Silver Lake had in kind of a Lynchian manner, but this definitely has dark humor, a lot of laugh out loud moments, a lot of sort of curb your enthusiasm, awkwardness with uh, the way uh, Ben interacts with these Texans <laughs> in ways. I don't know. I, I, I kept veering into, is this a little stereotypical? And I don't know. What is, what is it? What is going on here with portraying people in this light? But then again, yes, it is Texas. So it makes sense. It's not like he's not being honest, I think. But, you know, and what does it mean? What is it like to turn murder into a podcast? I, I'm I, That's starting to rub me the wrong way over time. You know, where, so th this is like the indie inverse of Only Murders in the Building, where it's just like, yes, let's make a podcast and make a name for ourselves because th that's what's in and that's what's hip. And that's let's embrace that here. It's sort of about questioning. Why do we do that? Why does Ben want to do that? Uh, I ended up quite liking this movie. I don't know if it's entirely successful either in the same way on the count of three gets a little bit overbaked or at least has a couple of subplots and I'm like, eh, or at least a couple of characters you could have just been like, nah, let's, let's, let's tighten this up. But there is one side character slash subplot that I cannot say enough good things about. It involves a character played none other played by none other than I'm having a hard time saying how much I liked his performance, but it's Ashton Kutcher, everybody, who for my money gives the best performance in this movie. Um definitely my favorite performance of his career. There's just it's uh, it's something. It's uh, it's uh, it's a little out there. He plays a really skeezy record producer named Quentin Sellers, and a little he's kind of like out of a Coen Brothers movie. I don't know. I was just genuinely into what he was doing. You know, he has the he's he looks like a snake oil selling goofball with a big hat, and he's mysterious, but he loves philosophy and. Once they begin speaking, I was just kind of like, man, if you just did a whole spin-off movie about this guy, I'd be down. 
course, maybe you know, a little goes a long way too. I don't know if I could. Maybe a whole entire universe of just Ashton Kutcher being this weird dude would get old after a while, but he really makes an impression here to where I was just kind of like, wow, more people need to be talking about this performance. And also this movie is very smart. It's very entertaining. It, it tries to indict us as Americans and, you know, how gross we can be. And But it's also almost too expository and talky at times and full of on-the-nose dialogue in a very direct way that feels almost like... Yeah, it's it's a debut script or a first-time effort to where I'm guessing once BJ Novak uh branches out a bit more, it'll he'll he'll, he'll possibly make one of the uh, like a movie that could potentially make a top 10 list. I can see that happening. This is certainly not it, but it's just it's a really strong debut for him. And I'm curious to see what else becomes of his career. Because I, 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 I don't know. I was mostly a fan of this, and particularly the, the idea to tell a story about our need to exploit and what that does for us and what does it mean to be motivated by revenge in the midst of it all. I, I just, I kind of wish it had packed an even, even bigger punch, you know, <laughs> by the end. Just yeah, and there's also been a lot of movies about podcasting characters, including Poser and another movie I, I liked called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. This one actually questions what it means to tell a story using this format, and you know, for the most part, I I I would say this is well worth your time. I just don't know if all the choices worked in its favor, or all the characters are effective or not, but. Um, it's just, uh, gosh, see it for Ashton Kutcher alone, but I, I really thought he's bringing some interesting ideas here, even if they're not all fully fleshed out or it's a little overstuffed. Um, and again, the way things play out, a bit of a question mark, but not in a way that I found it to be a bad thing. So, wow, what a wild lineup of four movies where... I am practically all thumbs up, even if there were reservations or issues along the way. So there's a lot of good things to check out, you know, even in the midst of uh, what I've been going through and, and, you know, struggling. I still made time for, you know, these four films that uh, I'm glad I did. And I'm hoping that you enjoyed me talking about them, even if it was just me in front of a microphone solo. Uh, yeah, but thanks so much for listening, everybody. This was a lot of fun to do, and I haven't done it in a while. This was a, a bit of a delightful edition of new movie review monologues in every way, simply because I, again, I, I managed to catch up with these four films, even if I've been in a crummy mood. So I'm hoping that once uh, temperatures drop and, you know, some movie screenings come around and everything, um, things will get better, you know, slowly but surely. I'm, 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 I'm counting on that to happen because it usually does. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks everybody. Uh, really, I hope you enjoy this sort of unconventional bonus episode. This is what I do on the side when I'm, you know, not doing director-centric episodes. Speaking of which, just stay tuned to directorsclubpodcast.com and the feed because two episodes are coming later on this month, including Bill Ackerman's director-centric episode on Mia Hansen Love, as well as a very special episode I'll be doing with Brian Talrico and Sergio Mims on British filmmaker Terrence. Davies. Oh boy. Who's, uh, yeah, I, I reviewed not too long ago his latest film, Benediction, which inspired me to say, hey, I want to do a whole episode on this guy because he's quite remarkable. So that will come out probably towards the end of September. So stay tuned for that. Along with more new movie, movie review monologues over at patreon.com slash directors club. Reach out via email about anything you want to tell me about. Anything. Uh, at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at DC Podcast, and most importantly, visit nowplayingnetwork.net to uh, support and subscribe to a lot of great podcasts, including Supporting Characters, Movie Madness, Friendship Dilemma, Christmas Movies Actually, Tracks of the Damned, and so many more. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe, and I greatly appreciate your support. All the best, and thanks for listening. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation, no breathing. Don't give a fuck if I cut my arm. Mutilation out of sight And I'm contemplating suicide